today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Maybe God wants to bring down walls in your life. You've been praying and praying and praying, but now He wants you to put feet to that faith. You know, there's one account, I uh, can't remember chapter and verse, but it's when Moses is like crying out to the Lord, praying during the Exodus. And can you imagine that God actually tells Moses, stop praying. No, God tells him that. Stop praying and get moving. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. Oftentimes we hear the only thing you can do is pray. A lot of times that's true. But today, Pastor J.D. reminds us that prayer isn't always the answer. Sometimes we need to act. Now, our actions should always begin with prayer, but that's not where it ends. We need to learn our direction from God and then get to it. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. They put one foot in front of the other, trusting God, even though it made absolutely no sense at all. And by faith, they just took God at His word. God said it, let's do it. No discussion, no debate. And God honored it. God's pleased by faith. We know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's how they took this city. And make no mistake about it, Jericho was steeped in all kinds of demonic practices. Their fate had already been sealed. God always gives people time to repent. The Amorites, 400 years God gave them to repent. Their fate was sealed, their heart was hardened, their mind was already made up. And so now judgment would come, but it would take faith mixed with action. Here's a thought. Maybe God wants to bring down walls in your life. You've been praying and praying and praying, but now He wants you to put feet to that faith. You know, there's one account, I uh, can't remember chapter and verse, but it's when Moses is like crying out to the Lord, praying during the Exodus. And can you imagine that God actually tells Moses, stop praying? No, God tells him that. Stop praying and get moving. You know, sometimes I, I think we, well, I'm, I'm still praying about it. Really? Okay. See ya. One wanna be. I got some marching to do. Got some walls to come down. Stop praying and get moving. Put feet to that faith. You want that wall to come down? You need to mix faith with action and then watch what God's gonna do. But you have to do something. Now, <laughs> I could just imagine. I don't know the numbers, there's much in the way of speculation as far as the numbers of the Israelites at this time, but it's quite a number of, of Israelites. 
But if I'm there, I'm like, you know what? I got my folding chair over here. I'm just going to tailgate this thing. You guys go ahead and let me know, because I can't talk, and I just I don't want to get in trouble. So um, I'm going to sit there, but I'm not going to be a part of that which God desires to do, God has promised to do, and that which God will do, if I would but put feet to my faith. Now, this next one in verse 31 sort of dovetails into trusting the Lord by faith, no matter what, especially when it makes no sense. But how about when it comes at a cost? This is verse 31. This is, to me, one of the most fascinating accounts in all of Scripture. Because prior to this marching around Jericho, Joshua sent two spies into Jericho, covert, undercover, to kind of check it out first. So just to kind of blend in and mix in, what do they do when they first get inside Jericho as visitors, travelers? They go to a prostitute, which is what someone would do that was traveling and visiting and inside Jericho. So they wanted to blend in, and so they ended up at this house of prostitution, and it just so happened to be this Rahab. Now this is why it's so important and why I would really encourage you to go back into Joshua and and read the account, the detailed account of what happened. You know what she tells them? She said, "Um, we heard about you guys. Oh, you did? Yeah. We heard about how God parted the Red Sea for you guys. You heard about that? That was like 40-some years ago, man. You heard about that? Yeah. That was a long time ago. We also heard about the crossing of the River Jordan, because see, we were impenetrable. There's nobody that could ever conquer us, if for no other reason, not just because of our walls, but because of the River Jordan. And apparently we heard about your God taking care of the River Jordan so you could pass over the River Jordan, and we heard you were coming. And i got to tell you guys, uh, all of Jericho is paralyzed in fear. And I believe in your God. And I believe that your God has given you this land. So they're like, okay, we got a friend here. (laughs) You got a friend. Anyway, so just want to make sure you're still with me. So she starts, and again, the, the detail in the narrative is so important. She starts pleading with them. We know you're going to take the city. It's just a matter of time. She doesn't know how, she doesn't know when, she doesn't know the way, she just knows that, by faith. So she puts her faith in their God and makes them promise to save her and her family. She pleads for the salvation of not only herself, but her family. She said, I will hide you if you'll save me. Now listen, Rahab, we really appreciate that. But you understand that if you're found out, it could cost you your life. I know, but I'm going to do it anyway. By faith, I'm going to take action, and I'm going to hide you, 
But you have to promise me, give me your word that you will bring salvation to my house. And now in the Middle Eastern culture, that's how the home, the family is referred to. In fact, in the Arab culture, it's Dar Abu Hani, Dar Abu Elias, the house of the father of Elias. That's how they would refer to my family, my house, the house of. So my house, my whole house is saved. You promise, you give me your word. And they give her their word. Yes, we will save you and all of them in your house. But you have to do something. You have to take action. Say what it is. Just name it. I'll do it. Okay. You're going to take a scarlet thread or rope, and you're going to hang it outside your window. So we'll know that that part will not be destroyed. That's faith. And get this, this is where it gets really interesting. So the prostitutes in that day would paint the bottom of their windowsill red. That's where we get the modern day term, the red light district. That's the way you knew that was the place of a prostitute. So you've got this red windowsill, and now she's going to take a red rope, and she's going to put it outside that window, that would be in the shape of a cross, wouldn't it? Does that sound similar to the Passover? Where they would take the lamb that they inspected, found without blemish for four days, and take a hyssop branch when they slayed that lamb, and put it on the top, and there was a basin at the bottom, and the left and the right, in the shape of a cross, so that the angel of death would pass over them, and they would be saved. So she puts this scarlet rope out of her window. You've got the red and the red in the shape of a cross. So here's her place in the wall. That's the last place you'd want to be. That's the most dangerous place to be. And yet she's saved. To me, that speaks to how it is that God can save anyone, anywhere, anyhow, at any time. From the guttermost to the uttermost, as it's been said. When those walls came down, her house with that scarlet rope was saved. Her whole house was saved by faith, mixed with the action of putting the scarlet rope out there. Can you put those together? That's why she was saved. And she did all of this knowing full well that if she were found out, she's done. It's game over. They would have killed her if they had found out about her. I think I'd be grossly remiss if I didn't address yet another problem, because there's a lot said about, well, wait a minute, pastor. I mean, she lied, didn't she? Okay. Couple thoughts. First of all, she's not saved yet. Her salvation comes when the walls come down. This is all she knows how to do. 
The reason I point that out is because I think we do err greatly when we expect non-believers to act like believers. They don't have the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And we're so incensed in our piety and, you know, spiritual pride, and I can't believe that they would... They're not saved! And if you want to really be honest with yourself, how did you act before you got saved? This is what you did. And don't you also find it interesting that the writers would include the detail. And I mean, if it's me, I would like to not be referred to as a prostitute because I got saved. I, couldn't you at least say former prostitute? <laughs> Why do I point that out? Because think about this. When you go through the Gospels, what do you see? Who's Jesus the most attracted to? Prostitutes. How about that woman at the well? You think a guy would be caught dead talking to her? In fact, she's stunned. She's like, you're not supposed to talk to me. What are you doing? And then he starts engaging in this conversation with this Samaritan woman. And by the time he's done talking with her, she gets saved. And then to include this, I'm going to say it, former prostitute, in the genealogy of the Savior of the world? Aren't you glad though? Now think this through with me. What if the genealogy of the Savior of the world was just, I mean, this list of who's who? Wow, he comes from that lineage. Aren't you glad there's people like you and me because we're all Rahab, we're all Tamar, we're all Perez. How about Judah? I mean, <laughs> 12 sons, and you're going to pick Judah to bring the Savior of the world from? I wouldn't have done that. I would think for sure, Joseph, come on. But Judah? In fact, you know what's really interesting? Judah was the one at the helm of the betrayal of their brother Joseph when they sold him for pieces of silver. Judah, Judas, the betrayal of his brother for pieces of silver. It'd be a foreshadow. Aren't you glad it's Judah? Because if it's Joseph, then we're in deep kimchi. That's all I'm going to say. Because if it's Joseph and the like that is in the genealogy of the Christ, then uh, I don't think I'm going to measure up. But it's not. This guy's like Judah. This guy was not a good guy. This guy was a, a problem child, if I can say it like that. And God chose to bring the Savior from the tribe of Judah. And then to have in the genealogy of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, adultery. Can you say David? Bathsheba? That was adultery. Oh, not only adultery, murder. Murder. 
murderers and adulterers and prostitutes and I mean even incest if you want to really get down to it between Tamar and her father-in-law. In the genealogy? What's your point, pastor? Maybe you're asking, do you even have a point? Yes, I do. Here's the point. The least and the last. That's who Jesus was attracted to in the Gospels. He was attracted to the Rahabs. He came not for those who don't need a physician. He came for the sick, for the sinner, for the downcast. As we're going to see in our study in Isaiah, came to set the captives free, to heal the lame, to open the eyes of the blind. He even had the audacity to let a prostitute anoint him with oil when he was invited over for dinner. Oh, big scandal. You know the account. And what does Jesus say? You guys, she loves much because she's been forgiven of much. You know, I came in here, you guys didn't even offer me anything. You know what the custom in that day, because your feet get really dirty. So they would wash your feet before you would enter the house. You didn't wash my feet. She did. What's up with that, guys? You want to talk about this? Not anymore. (laughs) Right? That's who Jesus is attracted to. These people. You know, I'm always struck by the account, and we've written songs about it, when the announcement is made that the Savior of the world has been born. And they're shown brightly, this angel, and the angel appears with this birth announcement of the Savior of the world to the elite of the world. No, he doesn't. You know who is the first to hear the announcement, the good news? Unto us a Savior is born. Dirty, stinky, lowest of the low shepherds. That's who the announcement is made to. See, I'm not sending a birth announcement to them. I'm sending a birth announcement to, you know, (laughs) so-and-so. Right? Because that's how we think. No, not the Lord. The Lord saves the Rahabs. The Lord saves the Tamars. The Lord can take you and me. I, I think one last thing, and then I'll, I'll bring it in for a close. Just bear with me. It's really uncomfortable, but when Paul writes to the Corinthians, it's really a rebuke. But he goes through this list of you know homosexuality and all these sins. And oh, by the way, <laughs> you'll find oftentimes throughout the epistles that these lists of sins, I mean, murder and sexual immorality, and I mean, it's just, you know, and adultery and gossip. Wait, what? Gossip rises to the level of murder? And yeah, because you're murdering their character, you're assassinating them, you're killing them with your tongue. And so he goes through all of this this list, and then he says this, and I mean it's mind-blowing. And at first read, you almost just read past it. 
He goes, homosexuality, all of these horrible sins, as were some of you. What? You mean to tell me there were some people there in that church in Corinth that were delivered out of a lifestyle of homosexuality? Yes! Wait, what? Because I thought that people in church, well, these are church people. Right? You know how it is when you invite somebody to come to church, or you're sharing the Lord with them, and they say something to the effect of, ah, the church is just full of hypocrites. To which I usually respond with, yeah, come on in, we can always use another one. (laughs) Or how about the one that will say something to the effect of, man, if I walked into that church, the walls would come down. Oh, that's Jericho. You have a different... uh, Oh, wow. Because, see, that mindset is church people are holy. (laughs) Listen, God's not through with us yet. Yeah, we're to be holy like He is holy. But you know what we are? We're sinners. The church is a hospital for sinners. As one said, not a showroom for saints. You come to church. You're, don't look at the person next to you when I say this. <laughs> You're sitting next to a sinner just like you. We're all sinners who need a Savior. That's who we are. That's who the church is. But God loves us. And God saves us. And I love accounts like this because... It's a reminder, a much needed reminder of who God is and how God is. But again, I think again, I'd be remiss if I didn't just lastly say, and this will be the last thing, the common denominator in everything we've talked about today, the common denominator in these two verses about how it went down in Jericho, literally, pun intended, (laughs) the common denominator was they took their faith and they mixed it with action. If they didn't mix their faith with action, we wouldn't be reading about this here today. This wouldn't have happened. Think about this. But Ahab and her household, her family would not have been saved had she not mixed her faith with action. The Israelites would not have taken that promise And that victory over Jericho had they not put feet to their faith. I wonder how many, and this I'm speaking for myself, I wonder how many things in my life would have been mine had I but mixed my faith with action. Maybe another way to say it, just flip it around. I wonder how many walls of Jericho did not come down because I didn't do this. Had they not done this, this would not have happened. I wonder, how many things have I not acted on by faith that didn't happen because I didn't? I don't want to end on that note. So how about let's just do this. Let's not be hydrogen Christians or oxygen Christians. Let's be H2O Christians. Ah, that's good. You know, it's it's passages like this, that, I mean, it's a slam dunk. 
You think man could have come up with this? I mean, if just these two verses should prove beyond any doubt that the Word of God is infallible. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Throughout much of this book, Jesus is mentioned as the great high priest. Aren't you glad that you can go directly to him with your troubles? There's no need for an intermediary person to bridge the gap. Jesus became that bridge when he died on the cross. If you'd like to know or understand more about this concept, we encourage you to go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com and look for the resources tab. Under that, there's a link to the ABCs of salvation. This provides an in-depth overview of what it means to believe that Jesus died for your sins and saves you from a life and eternity without him. Hebrews simply touches on the fact that Jesus fulfilled all the things that were promised in the Old Testament. It's like when you're reading a spy novel and you're given clues earlier on, but then it all makes sense in the end. Would you like to connect with others in their faith walk? If you're not currently part of a church, join us at Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. We meet on Sundays at 8.30, 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. You can find directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you might be interested in some additional teachings by Pastor J.D., including his Mideast Prophecy Updates. This is an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this current time in the world's history. That's all we have for today, but thanks for tuning in. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for the next edition as we learn more valuable things from the book of Hebrews right here on In Spirit and Truth. To 